Welcome to another episode of N4 Off The Block. I'm Vinny Lopes, the editor of Off The Block. It's great for you to be tuning in. So one of the things that we are wanting to do with this podcast is we're wanting to do some longer form interviews. For us at Off The Block, we are constantly covering the instant, what happened that day. But suddenly do we really get an opportunity to take a step back and cover the person or the bigger story as a whole. So one of the things that we're wanting to do with this podcast is look at those long-form things and really have sit-down, deep conversations with some of the newsmakers, some of the coaches, and some of the players in our sport. So with that being said, we've launched this first long-form interview with legendary EIBA coach Sam Swiesky of Princeton. This is a really timely piece interview given that Princeton won the EIBA championship and they're going to be hosting the EIBA tournament on Thursday with a chance to make it to the NCAA tournament, which would be the only or the second time in the program's history that they would have advanced that far in the postseason. So once again, hope everyone enjoys this podcast, our interview with Sam Swiesky. And for all your men's volleyball coverage, you can continue to check us out here on the podcast and also follow us online at offtheblogblog.com. And we are now joined by Princeton men's volleyball head coach, Sam Swiesky, who is on the line with us just a couple days before the EIVA tournament. But talking about before the uh, beyond the EIVA tournament, the job that he has done at Princeton, because it has been an amazing job he's done continuing to grow that program. So it'd be great to have Sam on the podcast because he is just a fascinating, fascinating person to talk to. If you've ever had the opportunity to talk to Sam Swiesky, so Sam, I guess you know we'll kind of start, you know, talking about your journey through volleyball. What was the first memory you had of playing volleyball or being introduced to volleyball? Um, good question. The first memory I have of volleyball is at uh, camp, summer camp. I think it was fourth grade, fourth or fifth grade. It was like an elective, and I and I signed up for volleyball. And uh, I I uh, the one the technique I had was I punched it. I used to punch the volleyball with a fist, and uh, that was pretty successful for a fourth grader. Um, and I just, I don't know, I really enjoyed it. And I got into sixth grade, seventh grade, uh, gym class with a volleyball section. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, my high school gym teacher was the, was the varsity volleyball coach. And he said, I should come to tryouts. So I went to tryouts as a seventh grader. My high school was seven through 12, but really the team was for nine through 12th graders. So I, I was not really fit to play with those, uh, that level, but the coach said, Hey, I want you at every practice. So I kind of became a manager and Kind of some of the other managers helped me learn the game. I, I got hooked, and I just asked my mom to send me to camps. I went to a Portland volleyball camp in uh, would have been summer of '92, uh, and I just uh, I don't know. I fell in love, and I started playing. I played in the Empire State games all through '94, '5, and '6, and I played in New York City, and uh, just loved the game. I went off to Vassar College. I played there for four years. It's a great experience. Um, I coached for a year at the University of New Haven. It's on the men's side, and actually, funny story there, I was there in 2002, one and two, and my first recruit ever was a young man by the name of Danny Concalves, who would uh, years later become the head coach at NJIT and, and a longtime, longtime friend of mine, ended up marrying a good friend of mine from Vassar. And, uh, anyway, so after, uh, after uh, New Haven, I went off and I played a year of professional volleyball in Holland, uh, thanks to Bring It USA and Tim Kelly. And I played libero out in Holland, uh, which was a great experience. And I came back to the city, and I started coaching junior club um, volleyball for girls, which was really kind of where I saw the profession going. And my club director encouraged me to go to the ABCA 
convention in 2003, and I just, I, I, I don't know, I heard a seminar by Kathy DeBoer, and I was hooked. I, she, at the time, was not the director. She was just a, a, a coach at the time, I think. And, um, yeah, I just fell in love with it. And I got a master's in sports psychology at Miami, Miami Ohio. Coached there for two years under the great coach Carolyn Condit, who had been there for several decades and was an incredible mentor and really taught me a tremendous amount about how to run a program. Um, I was there from 04 to 06. In 06, uh, I got my first Division One college coaching job uh, in the women's side at UNLV. Coached for Allison Keeley, who's now actually in the Ivy League as the, as the Columbia head coach. I coached under her for two years out in Las Vegas, which is a great experience. We won the Mountain West Conference my second year there beat Utah and Colorado State and um, BYU and route to a Mountain West Conference Championship. Uh, and then in 2008, I was hired by Todd Dagenet to go to Central Florida and start uh, working with him for a couple of years. It was a great experience. Learned a tremendous amount from him. Uh, and then in the summer of 2009, I was hired as the head men's coach uh, and assistant women's coach for Princeton, which was almost exactly 10 years ago. A few months, I'll come up with my 10-year anniversary. So I was the head men's coach and assistant women's coach here for the first seven years, and then about three years ago, um, they shifted my position to just be the head men's coach, uh, which was which was great. I love the women's side and being a part of them, but really nice to be able to focus just on the men's side and uh, be able to do some USA Volleyball stuff. I was the youth national team coach for a couple of years, and then on the junior side, and it's been great to do that and focus on the men's side and really sort of commit myself to, to Princeton. So that's where I am now, and uh, I see myself being here for quite some time. I fell in love with the university. I'm from the Northeast, so I'm kind of back home, but I plan to be here for a long time. My predecessor, Glenn Nelson, was here for 30 years, uh, did an incredible job building both programs, and uh, I'd like to be here hopefully for another another few decades and, and sort of match some of the great things that, that he was able to do. Well, talking about, about your journey, you know, especially when you got into coaching, was the goal when you started – always to become, hey, I want to go men's, I'd love to coach D1, D2. Was that the goal, or did that eventually be, become the goal? I think, you know, when I, I was start, I was a player, right? And so playing volleyball, I was really only exposed to men's volleyball, obviously being having played men's volleyball. And so I think naturally I gravitated towards that, uh, and I coached Division Two at, at New Haven. And then I remember coming back to the city in 2004 after after playing abroad, and I was, you know, I coached high school girls and club and my club director, Doug Levine, who runs a great club in NYC juniors in New York city. He said, you got to go to the ABCA convention and you got to network and meet people. And if you want this to be your profession, you got to coach women's volleyball. There's just hundreds of jobs. Uh, and that's where you can make a, a living out of this. And I just, you know, sort of took his advice. But as I did that, I was always had my eye on the men's game. I and mean, I always, I always gravitated towards it. I mean, when I was at uh, UNLV, we, I would do boys' clinics and men's clinics and boys' camps and stuff like that at Central Florida. And um, I just always was, you know, excited by the, the power and the physicality. And uh, and the misserves didn't seem to bother me. I get I get what the fans go crazy about with the misserves, but I somehow uh, was able to, to suffer through that and just love the bick and the guys flying through the air. When I go to adult nationals, I would coach an open women's team. I was an assistant for 10 years. And I, I would just sit and watch the open men. I was just enamored with uh, with some of the high flyers and, and stuff like that. So a chance to come back and be a part of it and be around it was great. But I got to tell you, you know, my story, obviously, through volleyball, I was interested in, and attracted to the, the physicality, the explosiveness, the, the intricacies of statistics and, and, and analysis, and obviously sports psychology. I have a master's, and I love that too. But I really sort of found my calling a few years in uh, when I was at Princeton, and we started doing – 
some work with a program called Maverick, which is Men's Allied Voices for a Respectful and Inclusive Community, and really talked about healthy masculinity and, and treating um, people with respect, but, but more, more importantly, getting some of the misogyny and the toxic masculinity language and verbiage out of the locker room culture that had been sort of steeped in, in men's sports for a long time. And as I was going through some of that programming and working with my guys on it, it was certainly not cutting edge, but it wasn't necessarily at the forefront of everyone's mind. And in the last few years with the Me Too movement and things that have happened sort of shifted our, our national conversation, uh, it's become more and more prevalent that, that you know, uh, it's really important that everyone get an education in uh, how to respect and, and listen to people and, and treat people with, you know, um, uh, not so much what you intended, but how they received what you did. And so that's become a real calling for me. And it's it's been great to impact some of these guys' lives by challenging them to think think about some of these things. And uh, it's been, yeah, it's been really powerful. Now that, that's super important, especially the time that we live in. And, and with that being said, you know, what it would be the maybe one or two pieces of advice you would give to any boys coach about things that they could do to help create a healthy culture and inclusive environment? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is, is, is look for education because there's, there's a lot of groups out there. And I remember I didn't really, when I first got to Princeton, I hadn't really coached men except for that one short experience. And I remember early on, the, you know, pretty typical old school stuff, you know, not even that bad, right? But maybe a guy would, a guy would hit a ball kind of soft and a guy would say, oh, come on, don't hit it with your purse. You know, and, and, and that's not, uh, not as bad as some of the heavy misogynistic things you could say, but it is, you know, denigrating and subjugating women for no reason. You know, what you, what you want to say to that guy is be strong, be confident, be assertive, which is not, well, those are not gendered ideas. Those are, those are concepts that any Olympian has, whether they're male or female. And for whatever reason, things got bastardized and, and the sports culture, the best way to motivate a man was to insult him and say he was playing like a woman is really an antiquated thought. But I didn't have any of that kind of academic vernacular. All I could say was don't say that. And the kids just hear all the adults saying don't say that the same way they would say don't say a four-letter word, you know. And it's like, well, some four-letter words are just crass, and some actually really can poison your brain and make you think of people in different ways. So. I found this group, Maverick. Uh, there's a guy I follow on Twitter, Tony Porter, talks about um, healthy masculinity. There's a lot of things you can kind of look at. Um, I, I just think it's important to start learning because I didn't, you know, come to this with an incredible amount of knowledge. I've been sort of learning as, as, I've, as I've gone. Uh, and I try to model that for the guys. Like, we're all human. We make mistakes. We, we make jokes that land the wrong way. And we, but it's important to, to be accountable for what you say and apologize and then kind of try to learn and listen. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of resources out there, but I think you got to look for them and you got to ask and, and it's uncomfortable, you know, it's not, it's not as comfortable as talking about block and defense. You know, I think that's kind of what everybody's sweet spot is, is we're going to talk about rotations and this and that, but, um, I would encourage people to talk with their teams, uh, about these things that are going on in the world and teach your athletes to listen to each other and to value different points of view and not get sort of sucked into our own little, uh, corners where we don't hear what other people say because that's what society is right now and i think if you have a chance to work with a team that loves each other as a bunch of brothers um, but has different points of view different backgrounds hear their life experience and and share in that and have the maturity to to respect one another and just go off that is this this something that you're even more cognizant about when you're out on the recruiting trail looking for potential players who enjoy your program 
Yeah, you know, it's obviously it's pretty nuanced and it's hard to parse that out. But I think what I started what I've started doing in the last couple of years is when I have families on campus, I start explaining things about our program and and I will definitely talk about the Maverick program and healthy masculinity and some of the stuff that that's important to us. And you know, for some families, they they listen, they hear it. It's neither here nor there. They're going to pick the school based on the academics, the athletics, the, the vibe with the team, that kind of stuff. Uh, some families, they're like, wow, that's really, that's what I want my son to be a part of. And I'm sure for some families, maybe they think it's not, you know, and, and I think that's kind of a subtle way. I think all coaches do that. They kind of let their personality shine a little bit in the recruiting process. And, and then, you know, like attracts like, you know, certain types of kids gravitate towards certain types of coaches and types of schools and, and vice versa at other schools. So that, that's kind of the way that we, we go about it. And Coach, you alluded to it a little bit earlier. Obviously, you replaced a legend, Coach Nelson. You, I, you know, want to take you back to that first year. What was that like for you, not only being a new coach, but having to replace the man? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it's funny because I was talking about that today with, with one of the guys on my team. And, um, yeah, I mean, I really had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I, I had coached volleyball, uh, club girls volleyball, college women's volleyball, I had never head coached, head coached men's volleyball at that level before. And I really, I did not know uh, a lot of what to do. Uh, and we had an incredible year. We ended up being second in the conference for the first time ever. Uh, prior, when Princeton won it in 98, they were the three seed, upset Penn State as the two seed, and then beat Rutgers at Rutgers in the one seed. So that was the first time, 2010, my first year, was Princeton was a two seed. Uh, ended up playing uh, Mason in the semis and then played Penn State in the finals. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was a very uh, daunting task. I mean, Glenn Nelson had been a huge legend, and I had certainly followed his legacy. And for thirty years, and he he got the job the year I was born, nineteen seventy nine. And so to come in as a thirty year old to wrap up his thirty year tenure, uh, he was just so revered and so respected, and so loved uh, that I, it was very nerve wracking to step into those shoes. And and aside from being really insecure and nervous about what I was doing, there was no way I could live up to that. So. I tried as best I could to just respect and revere him. You know, we started the Glenn Nelson Classic Tournament a year or two later um, and sort of pay homage to him and, and try to tell all the alums, like, you know, this guy was clearly a legend and we'll respect him forever. We dropped a banner in Dylan this year, the Glenn Nelson banner with all of his wins, winning his coach in Princeton history, over a thousand wins between men and women. Um, and I tried to take every positive, amazing thing he did with the program and keep it going. Uh, and then the things where I felt we could up, update or do that he hadn't done or things we could sort of, you know, move into the 21st century with volumetrics and stuff like that, um, we tried to do. But so many of the basic principles that made Princeton so special and made so many people love the program are thanks to Glenn Nelson. And so we, it was a blueprint that we just tried to copy and, 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 you know, make our own a little bit. And, Coach, obviously you – have tons of respect for Coach Nelson. I think everyone in the volleyball community does, but obviously you're your own coach. So what would you say would be your first major change that, that you made to the program that was different than what Coach Nelson was doing? Well, I think part of it had to do, you know, Glenn had been there for so long, and he had so much respect from the athletes built in, and so much street cred, you know, um, and I didn't. And so I, in the beginning, I really tried to, to really be a little more strict in terms of being a practice on time or wearing the same shirt or, you know, some, so some of the small details that especially as a young coach, I felt I needed to gain their respect. And, 
you know, it was probably more for me at the time just to feel in control and probably because I was not so certain about the, what I was, you know, what I was doing. Um, and slowly as, as the years went on, I did more stuff with USA Volleyball and I was around more great coaches and I got more confidence and we had more success. Um, I got more confident and more relaxed. You know, I think you spend time around, you know, a Marv Dunphy or, you know, a John Spira and Al Skates, uh, you know, any of the legends that have been around a long time, you know, there's a calmness about them because they know, they know what they're doing. They know what they're talking about. And Glenn had that. And I, I didn't have that in any shape or form yet at that point. And so I think I put a lot of rules and structure in to try to make things a little bit more manageable. Um, and we still have rules and structure. I, I think that there's an element to that that's important. Um, but I think it's also important. I've, I've grown to really trust the guys and, and give them a lot of the, the onus on how the program is going to run. And uh, I think I learned that from Glenn, and I've sort of taken my own twist on it, but I, I think it's incredibly valuable. Coach, you look at the program throughout this decade, it seemed to improve every single season. And I want to ask for you, was there a moment at all when you kind of look back these, um, you know, since your time at Princeton where you kind of like, wow, we've taken this to a next level? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's interesting because there's certainly, there's been waves, you know, like it's it's gotten better uh, in certain things in certain years and then certain years has been rebuilding years and stuff like that. But I, I don't know if someone gave me this advice, but I kind of keep telling myself, as long as you're getting better in something every year, the program will rise. And, you know, maybe, you know, you win more games, win more games, win more games, and then one year you have a rebuilding year, but you've gotten better in fundraising or marketing or branding or social media or something else, you know. And um, I, I, if I look to a point, a pivotal point where things really changed, I think it was, you know, when Cody Kessel joined the program, um, you know, Cody Kessel, not just Cody Kessel, his class, Cody Kessel, Will Soroki, um, and Tony Ensbury, that class that came in in 2012 and graduated 2015 really transformed the, uh, just the heart and soul of what we were trying to do. Uh, and even to this day, I mean, the, the guys on the team, the seniors, the fifth year seniors on the team now were freshmen when Cody and Will and Tony were, were seniors they, they get referenced all the time. Uh, and so they really helped sort of put this new kind of Schweisky era blueprint uh, in place. And it was just incredible to see. I mean, they, I would certainly say that their class helped transform this decade into, into what it's become, but not, you know, there's certainly been plenty of people, junior oboe, uh, Jonah May, uh, you know, Mike first who have come through and been incredible captains and, and done some incredible things. Yep. Well, Coach, talking about, you know, kind of the EIVA right now and the growth of the program, you have a huge opportunity this upcoming weekend hosting the EIVA tournament. I want to ask for you, you know, even before this started, what's that significance of you guys winning the regular season championship for the first time in program history? It's really cool. Um, you know, I think um, I was talking about this with someone else today. You know, I think it's very cool. It's very exciting. Um, all of the EIVA uh, accolades that came out today, I think everybody is really humbled and, and, and honored by them. Uh, and I don't know that it will really sink in until maybe the summer or after the season. I think right now we're, we're very appreciative, but we're kind of trying to, trying to keep our nose down and our head down and nose on the grindstone and just, you know, one match at a time, one step at a time, one point at a time, because, you know, we have one important match coming up on Thursday, and that's kind of all that we're, we're looking at right now. Um, 
But, you know, if you ask me to reflect quickly, like, yeah, it's exciting. We, we, that's been our goal, um, you know, for, for 10 years. And that's been what we've been, what we've been trying to do. I mean, the, but the truth is the, the bigger goal is, is to, is to win the conference. And I think sort of the conventional logic has always been, if you host, you, you have the best chance, but the truth is four teams are coming in here this weekend uh, and they're all gunning, running and gunning and trying to win this thing. And, and everyone's got uh, about a 25% chance to win this thing, I would say, because the teams are very evenly matched. So it's, it's really cool. It's exciting. It speaks to the body of work that we were able to do, but um, you know, <laughs> it's volleyball. And, and a lot of it has to do with people being healthy at the right time and the ball bouncing the right way. And, you know, we were in several five set games where the ball came down to the wire. And so, we're very appreciative and thankful to be where we are, and um, we're just going to try to try to keep going as, as far as we can. Now, you have some coaches, obviously, they'll always talk about the pressure that the host team has. I want to ask you, is having now experience, do you feel that's actually true, or do you feel that's maybe opposing coaches trying to get in the head of the hosting team? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I don't know. Um, uh, the pressure... I have felt some, some pressure or stress this past week as we've been doing some uh, pre- preparing for the event because, you know, I don't know if it's because I'm from Eastern European Jewish descent, but, like, when in my family, if I host you for dinner, like, we want to we wanna make you feel stuffed when you leave. Like, you know, if you come to my house, Vinny, for dinner, you should walk out feeling, oh, God, I can't eat another bite of food. And, and that would be a good plan for your opponent maybe two hours before <laughs> the match. No, but yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm you know, metaphorically speaking, yeah. like, you know, the, the, the EIVA championships has been at Penn State for, for two decades, and it's been done so well. And then for the first time in two decades, George Mason hosted last year, and they did a fantastic job. And so, you know, we have a chance to host, and we want to make sure that it lives up to the expectations and the, the high standards that Penn State sort of set and that Mason carried on. And so, this week has been a little bit uh, hectic for me and, and all the admins sort of jumping on board to kind of make sure that that's, that's taken care of. Um, but the guys have sort of been just been practicing and kind of doing our thing. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't, I don't feel any added pressure. I feel added excitement. It's excited to be hosting. Um, but yeah, we, we're just, we're excited for the opportunity and, you know, we try to treat each opponent. I was, I worked with Jonah Carson this summer on the men's international team. And I thought he made a, tr- a great analogy that I kept with me that every time you play a match, it's like working with power tools. And, you know, every, if you don't realize that two teams, uh, every, both teams in the, every match have the c- capacity to win the match. If you don't fully grasp that going into a match, you're, you could be in trouble. Uh, and if you work with a power saw, if you don't use, safety gloves and, and safety goggles, uh, you could get injured. And so if you, if you give every opponent the respect they deserve, which is that they could, they could win the game, and you head in with uh, sort of that, that maturity, uh, I think you give it your best shot. And so that's, that's kind of the, the mentality and the approach we're trying to take is that, you know, St. Francis beat us, uh, the only team to beat us in the conference, and they're, they're a really talented team. And so we're going to try to game plan for them and, and expect their best game and, and do the best we can. And that's really kind of all that's on our minds right now. Yeah. Coach, just two more questions before we, we let you go because, I, because we've kept you for a pretty long time. But I do want to ask you about George Eumann, named EIVA Player of the Year, and he's in the rare position of playing a hybrid opposite middle attacker. I want to ask you, you know, when you started implementing this, was it something as simple as he's so good, we need to keep it on the court at all times? 
or was it this analytics approach, looking at the data, looking at the numbers, that, that led you to this decision? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good question. You know, he played middle his whole freshman year. He was recruited as a middle. He was a middle. And then his sophomore year in the fall, we were looking at some different lineups and things. And actually, he started off playing back row fours, and he was just crushing these D balls. And we were like, huh, maybe he could jump serve. So he started jump serving. Like, oh, that looks pretty good. And, uh, and then we were looking at lineups and this and that, and we were playing some hybrid, but it wasn't working out great. And then against Penn State last year, um, he might have been playing the hybrid, but one of our guys went down with, it, with a knee injury. We only had like eight or nine guys. So he had to play opposite the rest of his last sophomore year last year, and he led the conference in, in kills per set and hitting percent. He was amazing last year as a true opposite. So this year it was like, I don't know, middle, opposite. We kept moving him back and forth and hybrid and this and that. And I, I kept asking him, like, what do you want to do? Do you have a preference? Because we'll build it around you. And he would just say, well, whatever you need, coach, whatever you need me to do. Um, and it's a made-up position. Like, it's a really – it's a very difficult position to block middle in the front row and then hit the D-ball. I mean, it's an exhausting position. Um, but he he's just sort of taking it in stride. And um, and, and a lot of it is like when we looked at a lot of analytics and numbers of his teammates around him, and, and it starts to be like, well, if he can, you know, take the blocking load in the middle and take the D-balls in the back row, and uh, it just seems to be where our team is the most balanced. But the nice thing is the flexibility. We, we've I guess we've had the same lineup the last few matches, but throughout the year we have changed and moved and flexed and I've just been so impressed with this team and how flexible and nimble and agile they've been, um, not just with lineups, but guys coming in and out and positions. I mean, it's an incredibly engaged bench to be able to do that. But, uh, but yeah, George is certainly a very special athlete, and uh, I, don't, I don't know a lot of guys that could play this position this way. And um, I'm excited to see what he does this weekend. You know, he, my experience has been in, in the big moments – He's at his best, and so I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do uh, on this stage. Yeah. And final question, Coach, and we'll let you go on this. You know, we've um, spent a lot of time talking about you and your volleyball career. I do want to ask you about you, the person. One of the coolest things to see has been kind of your personal or physical transformation the, the last few years and the uh, health regimen that, that you've been on. Can you just talk a little bit about that and some of the stuff that you've been able to achieve, including I, I heard you were climbing mountains at uh, at BYU earlier this year. <laughs> uh, yeah, we did. We well, me and a couple of guys went on a nice hike on BYU, and I, I could not keep up with my guys, even though they, they were only walking at a modestly brisk pace. <laughs> so, as as fit as I am for a forty year old, I'm still not anywhere close to a, the fitness of a twenty year old. Um, yeah, no, I I don't know. I, I like to try to stay fit and pepper with the guys and, and kind of stay as fit as I can uh, for my age. Um, you know, season is tough sometimes because you're traveling and it's kind of hard sometimes to eat uh, healthy. But, um, you know, I do the best I can. It's funny. The guys, the guys joke around with me. They know after a tough match, you know, I'll usually indulge myself in some desserts and stuff like that. And they'll always say, oh, coach, you're falling off the wagon. Get back on the wagon. And so they, uh, for my gift, we did a senior banquet this past weekend. They bought me a small little, a little red wagon uh, to, to keep me motivated and keep eating my salads. So, um, but yeah, I, you know, I think as we all get older and, and your metabolism slows down, you got to find different ways to try to work out and try to eat well. And when you're around these incredibly fit athletes, you know, you feel like, man, I should really probably get off the couch and, you know, uh, run a few miles and, and do some jump rope and, try to keep up. So I'm doing my best. 
You've been listening to our interview with Princeton men's volleyball head coach Sam Swiesky. I want to thank everyone for sticking through it and going all the way to the end here. You know, one of the things I always love talking to Sam about is just kind of the journey that him and his program have been on. You know, when Sam took over the program, it already had success, but they didn't have a whole lot of huge upset wins and national rankings with maybe the exception of that 1998 team that made the NCAA tournament. So seeing the progression of the program over the last 10 years has really been pretty fascinating and it's kind of beginning to culminate now with them winning the EIVA regular season championship. Now, are they going to win the EIVA tournament and make their first NCAA tournament appearance in 31 years? You know, that's a good question. It's a tight field. It's a competitive field. But regardless of what happens, the job that Sam Swiesky has done at Princeton has been absolutely outstanding. So once again, I want to thank everyone for joining us here at And This Is Off The Block, our new podcast for Off The Block, where we're delving deep into the world of college men's volleyball. I really encourage anyone who, first off, rate and subscribe this. And then also, if you have any suggestions for topics you'd like for us to cover or people to interview, feel free to tweet at us at Off The Block blog or Off The, off the Block 11. Blah, there we go, Off The Block 11. Or you can also email me at vinnylopes at gmail.com. So once again... I hope everyone enjoyed our interview. Be sure to rate and subscribe, and let's enjoy some volleyball this weekend. We have some fantastic matches coming up.